great and merciful, loving Heavenly Father, we come before you now, Lord, to thank you for all the many blessings that we receive each day from you. But we especially, Lord, thank you for bringing us safely together this morning, for another morning when we can gather together to celebrate your love towards us by partaking of these emblems, a symbol of your love made flesh in your dear beloved Son. Lord, we thank you for everything that we get from you. But we pray, Lord, for that great and glorious day when Jesus will return to the earth to establish your kingdom. And we are working towards that day with patience. We pray, Lord, for your people of Israel when all wars will be ended, when your kingdom will be established and their heart of stone will be turned into a heart of flesh, when your law will go out through the world from Jerusalem. What a great and glorious day that will be, Lord, and we pray for a place in that kingdom. For we ask it through Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Brother Mark has asked for a reading of Job chapter 38 to be read in line with his uh, exhortation. Right, like I said, we're going to take a reading from Job chapter 38 and the first four verses of Job 39. And I've asked um, my Julie to come and read that for us, please. Thank you. Do you want... Job 38 and the first four verses of chapter 39. <clears throat> And the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone? as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb and as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness? For I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores. I said, this far and no further will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colours. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you realise the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does the light come from and where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course you know all this, for you were born before it was all created, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? 
who laid out the path for the lightning? Who makes the rainfall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns to ice as hard as rock, and the surface of water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars, binding the cluster of Pleiades, or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the sequence of the seasons, or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and instinct to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods? Can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? Do you know when the wild goats give birth? Have you watched as deer are born in the wild? Do you know how many months they carry their young? Are you aware of the time of their delivery? They crouch down to give birth to their young and deliver their offspring. Their young grow up in the open fields, then leave home and never return. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. So I think those, um, despite there being so many of us here, those hymns are really good, sort of in tune with what I'd like to think about. Something about something very small, something very still, quiet voice, the the, the faint whisper. If you'd like a title to what I'd like to talk about, it's Scale. The Scale of Things. Is it something big or small? Is it something private or public? Is it something intimate or global? Is it something individual or for everyone? And also, is it short-term or long-term? That's what I'd like to think about. <clears throat> we read uh, from Job some things that taught God speaking in times of in a time of struggle, and um, and he talks about all scales. He talks about the earth's foundation in verse 4 of chapter 38. Um, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. And later on in verse 33, do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? But he also talks about much more so small scale things and that's why we that's why we snuck on to the next chapter when we did the reading 
who provides food for the raven when it's young, cry out to God. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. God is there at all levels. The vast, uncomprehensible, ungraspable dimensions of the universe that you cannot have on a single sheet of paper and see any of those the too small resolution on screens and bits of paper to see any of those dots. It is vast. And all the scales in between, he is there. We cannot comprehend him. And he cares, his concern is for certain things, I think. Counting those months of the, of the labor pains of an insignificant, hidden away, wild creature that nobody else sees. We're also going to think about Jesus. We're going to look at some of the things he's done in his ministry and about the scale of what he was doing. One thought about the small scale is that there is only a very small group of people who Jesus has alongside him, the 12 apostles. Um, and they are, they are actually, in fact, people who are nothing. They are insignificant, small people. And very often, Jesus took even a smaller number of that small group of people with him in certain situations. Um, so here's an example. Well, there's lots of examples. Here's one from Mark chapter 5. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, when they came to a house of a synagogue leader, um, Jesus saw a commotion and people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in to where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Taleto, come, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately, the little girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished, and he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this. And he told them to give her something to eat. So... Only three disciples were allowed to see this amazing, amazing miracle. And they were told not to let anyone else know about this. It's just quite an often thing that you see in Jesus' work. Some things that would so easily magnify the number of people interested, and he restrained it. He stopped it happening. And it's interesting also which we'll come to a bit later on. Um, It was now, right now, you're not to tell people. Later on, you will. Um, The number 12 is actually very interesting. Um, It's a number that's used lots in the Bible. Um, And I also, I use this number more and more at work. 
So it's useful for breaking groups into smaller things to scale things down. So it's a fascinating number. You know, all the other big numbers like 1 and 10, um, they don't have what this has got. And I can sort of see the, the usefulness of it. You can divide it, split it by... Um, just have a group of 12, a smaller group of 6, or groups of 4, groups of 3, groups of 2, groups of 1. There's lots and lots of different scaling you can have. So it's like, I, I, I use it, I use it to work. I'll talk about it. I'm talking about my work a bit later on as well. So I'm a computer programmer, and we write screens that are, stuff for screens that are big, stuff for screens that are very small. And that's what this number is useful for. And that's what I'm talking about this morning things shrinking right down to be one-to-one or two or three, etc. I'm going to look at quickly at some of Jesus' um, uh, other examples. There's one that I've actually given a talk about recently, which is um, Jesus talking, challenging a woman caught in adultery, and everyone's trying to get lots of people involved. And he puts so, so much effort to having a private as possible, intimate, one-to-one conversation with her about the issue. And there are lots of examples. Um, you know, when, when Jesus does uh, as amazing things, um, he touched someone's eyes and said, um, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored And Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. This is just for you. This is about your sight. And at the beginning of his his ministry, uh, Jesus turned water into wine, his first miracle. Um, And then hardly anyone knew about it. The master of the banquet banquet tasted the water that had just been turned to wine. He did not realize where it had come from. And the disciples, later on it says, the disciples believed in him. The small number. There's examples. uh, Nicodemus, um, one person individually, privately talked to Jesus at night. And interestingly, interestingly, we'll talk about this again later, Jesus challenged him and he went away, challenged. So he didn't then instantly become a disciple he wasn't encouraged. He was challenged, pushed, poked. The Samaritan woman. There is the resurrection. Very small number of people seeing that. There's, there's lots of um, examples um, in Jesus' work that show Jesus putting, it seems, less effort to get more people. That's not what we... what we, No, that can't be what Jesus is doing. It seems he is in no way trying to grab as many people as possible. Um, So in in John chapter 6, verse 25, uh, they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him the Father God has placed his seal of approval. And so they're they're sort of, they're the right words to say, but 
later on in verse 66, it says, After this, many of his disciples quit following him and did not accompany him any longer. He poked the sharp, sort of hard words were not, it seems, the right thing if he wanted to keep more and more people. There's lots of examples. Um, so again, a very few people of the, not even his full disciples, a smaller number, um, they were there and they, they saw um, miracles happening with Jesus talking to people um, and Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone. Other people came to him. Um, this is from Matthew 8, verse 18. When Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave orders to cross the other side of the lake. The teacher of the law came to him and said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, this is almost shocking, not encouraged. Someone's come in, a disciple, it seems, wanting to follow Jesus. Foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's a poke. It's sort of, it's challenging someone face to face. Another disciple came to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. I would really not describe these as encouraging more people to follow him, as the crowd to get bigger. He's pruning. There are a few rare places where Jesus did allow things to spread, where he did allow things to get broadcast. There's an interesting one here in Mark chapter 5. Um, At once, Jesus realized that power had gone from him. He turned round in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, the disciples answered. And yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell to his feet, trembling with fear, and told him the truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So Jesus, is Jesus making some, making a miracle really public? Well, it did by accident. The priority was this woman. She needed, I think, her for everyone else to know the miracle that happened to her and for her to know it had happened. It was for an individual person. The big public thing was not for the big public view. It was for this woman and her alone, for an individual person. The needs of the people in front of his face get priority. And the long-term needs of those people get the highest priority. Jesus talks a bit more at the end of his ministry about... There's a talk he calls the sheep and the goats. And he's saying things about, again, about individuals doing very small things. The righteous will answer him in this story. Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. 
Again, these are not things about being publicly shown. These people didn't know they'd done it. They weren't, it wasn't a big thing in front of everyone. Um, and they were all small things for individual people, um, people with issues, people in prison even. <coughs> Very insignificant people. I've got um, something to talk about me now. So, um, just just in case you don't know, I'm a professional computer geek. Uh, The size of the company I work in has changed. The scale of it has changed. It's become something much bigger. And I suppose, in a way, it's a result of that that I've been thinking about the scale of things. My 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 boss, whose name was was is Rick, um, he founded the original company years and years ago. Um, When I started, there was about ten of us in this company. I don't know how many there is. There's there's tens of thousands now. Um, Rick would make us all a drink. He would say, "What coffee? Bring a coffee. Put it on your desk." Um, when, when I started um, I've spoken to him loads I've been out for meals with him I met his children um, I really feel like I really know him quite well <clears throat> uh, Rick retired and now owned by like I say a huge big company uh, the boss he's, you know, he's, he's the boss of the boss of the boss of the boss of the boss so he's up there somewhere I've seen him, I, I know who he is um, I've seen him in a presentation that was given to a few thousand people but I really, really don't know him at all in any way and there's, there's lots of other interesting things that I, I felt in my job it's not just the boss that was different um, it's how I was involved in my company um, we were so, com- so small, like I say, there was ten of us, we did everything. We did the research, we did uh, deciding the decisions based on the research, we did writing specifications for a new feature, doing the code, testing it, writing the help, installing it at the college, um, weeks moving data from other people's systems, planning user groups, attending user groups, being on support desks to customers. So much stuff we did, we did everything. We were involved on the surface, we, we, we were there. We weren't just a, a small bit in a black box throwing things over the wall to other people. I've, I've, we were like software for colleges. I've been at a desk. I've enrolled students at a college. And I feel it's really important. I get it. It really informs me that I, oh, okay, I get this now. I understand it. I'm there. And it was changed it's been changed by the company we've been taken over by. Lots of changes. We, we weren't scalable, apparently. We weren't scalable. Uh, we've now got separate groups of doing, doing things. We've got people that do testing. Um, there's, there's an office in, in, in um, Altrincham. But lots of us are working from home. There's people in India. There's, the support desk is in Birmingham. We're just all so far away. And we're just not motivated, connected in the same way. Our original company, we didn't know what we were doing. 
we guessed stuff, we bodged it, we made lots of stuff up, we didn't follow all these standard industrial practices that we didn't even know existed. <laughs> we made mistakes left, right and centre, but, but we felt it, we understood the customer's needs, um, we're motivated by knowing, how can I write this so they'll never phone me on support desk? It's really important. Those links, the motivation inside you for what you are doing. Interesting thing I found out recently, we were very small, and we're very, still very small, and in terms of profits incoming, per head of our very small number, we earn ten times more than any other part of our company per, per person. That's an interesting fact. Us idiots who didn't know what we were doing because of our motivation, I think. And I can really see this all reflected in Jesus' ministry. These people who were absolutely not qualified, no managers involved, no charts measuring things, no laws even. A small group of nobodies being fully connected with something in a simple, deep way. People who were close to and next to our vast, infinite, amazing God of heaven and earth. People would, in their nature, without even realizing they were doing it, were behind a closed door, trying, trying to see, listen to him. People who in their nature were intrinsically, without thinking about it, connected to preaching the gospel. One of the people, one of the examples of people who failed earlier was Nicodemus. And he's a really interesting example someone who was challenged privately by Jesus. And it seemed like he couldn't handle it. He was afraid. He feared the Jewish leaders, it says. But later, this is much later on, there's a few things that talk about him later, but here's one from John chapter 19, verse 38. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked for the Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he um, feared the Jewish leaders, with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 35 kilograms, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. You see, earlier by Jesus, Nicodemus was being pruned and challenged. And he began, began, was just beginning to be in fellowship with God seeing the mess that is in uh, the Jewish religious organization. And he was beginning to share God's pain about how that feels. 
And he wanted to share in Jesus' sacrifice. Just a bit. Jesus' words are not with a loud voice gathering in the crowd, making sure there's a full church like there is today. Jesus speaks not even with a voice, with his breath stopping. Jesus' actions started to echo in Nicodemus. These small, silent things will never cease to grow. They will resonate. They will last for all eternity. Today, there is something private, intimate, and individual. And it is starting just just beginning to exist in us. Everything else in this world, everything, the vast things, will eventually fade away. The rocks will begin to crumble. But a small treasure is being grown in us. The treasure is what cannot be shaken and it will remain in us. In the same way that Jesus was involved individually with people face to face, the same is true of our God. Um, In 1 Corinthians, it's one of those very, very small verses I've been thinking about lots when he, um, he says the phrase, all in all. Our God is not interested in being spread out a bit in all spread thinly in as many as possible but being all in all something that is small, private, intimate and individual for today will eventually eventually will become big, public global for everyone for all eternity Jesus says this. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet, not one of them will fall to the ground outside your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, so don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. What are we worth to him? We are just a tiny spot, a blip, in this humbling, vast universe. Our lifetime, even, is, is a flicker. No, nothing. Our lifetime is nothing in our God's eternity. But I believe every single individual one of us is worth, well, not just worth more than many sparrows, more than everything to Him. And we come to remember what we are worth to him today.